Welcome to Notes from the North with Kyle and Sam. Welcome back to another episode of Notes from the North. Kyle and Sam here, here to talk about the San Francisco uh, Vikings game. And Kyle, that was just disappointing all around. Um, Tell me how you're doing first before we get into it. I will say, and maybe this is just my OCD, but I always find it, and this is not meant to be a too hard a critique on Sam here, but I find it off-putting. So you said the San Francisco Vikings game. And so you had the city, and then you had like the name of the team. And I always find it off-putting. It's either San Francisco, Minnesota, or it's 49ers Vikings, or it's full name. And so I was doing so-so, all things considered, in light of what was an awful game yesterday, but that really kind of put me over the edge here. So I'll say I'm doing poorly. Doing poorly. You know what? I, uh, I, I, as I said it, it felt uncomfortable. Yeah. But I do know now how I will introduce every single game moving yeah. forward. It's like when I, I, I don't know. My wife's not a huge sports fan, but then she'll watch a game and she'll be like, Oh, it's instead of saying it's 3327, she'll say it's 2733. And I was like, no, no, no. You start with like the, the higher number goes first. Like whoever's leading, that's what you start with, kind of thing. 3327 for, you know, and it, it just it just throws me. And so if Sam starts switching to saying the scores like that, and then you know, the Minnesota 49ers game, I'm just gonna I might just lose it. It I realized as I was saying, I was like San Francisco, and then I, I didn't I just like I just call them the Vikings. I don't call them Minnesota, and right. so it just yeah, it it happened. But off to a good start. Yeah, we're doing great. Doing great. Good. Well, yep. you know what? Speaking of a comedy of errors, <laughs> yeah, uh, the, yeah, the Vikings. Yeah. Um, I yesterday was the first. Well, not not the first game, but it, yesterday's loss felt different uh, than than other losses this year. And like I don't know, you can go through the list. Like there was missed throws. You got. The interception, you got the missed PAT, missed two-point convert, uh, yeah. fumble, poor run defense, questionable officiating. Uh, I don't know. You got any other ones in there? Uh, I guess, like, you can think a little bit about all these things, but is there one that stands out to you or a couple that stand out to you in terms of where maybe the blame can go after after yesterday? The ones I think of the most are uh, the turnovers. Right, because then you had so at the end of the half, of course, the 49ers score because that's what every team does against the Vikings this year at the end of the half. And then they come out and they score again. So they double dip, which is what every team wants to do. You want to score late in the first half and then score again at the beginning of the second half if you're fortunate enough to have the ball first. And then you have the turnover and then they score a third touchdown draw. And now you're saying, man, these guys got 21 points in like five, six minutes of game time kind of thing. And then, uh, and then you had the, the fumble, right? And so you just, you got four consecutive scoring drives aided by two Minnesota turnovers. And uh, man, oh man. So I look at the turnovers as kind of the primary culprit. And I mostly put it on, uh, mostly put it on Cousins. That interception was really poor. From what I could see from the game broadcast, it seemed to me, and again, I don't know, I'm not in the offensive meetings, nor am I in Kirk Cousins' head. But it seemed to me that he was reading the defensive back. And once he saw the defensive back move towards the flats, he thought that his man was open, not realizing that the linebacker was sinking underneath. And so it just, it wasn't a complex coverage. It wasn't a complex, it was a short throw. 
shouldn't have made it. You know, as soon as the ball is in the air, you're saying, oh, no. You know what I mean? You kind of have that moment of, you know, that heart saying, oh, crap, this is not going to go well. And, of course, it didn't. And so I'm kind of mostly looking at the turnovers. But I know Zimmer specifically said, and I don't know if you saw this, because so Zimmer specifically said after the game, he was very upset about the officiating. Uh, Patrick Peterson's penalty came up because they should have gotten off the field uh, in the first half. But then Peterson was called for um, the penalty on George Kittle and that allowed that drive to extend. They ended up scoring a touchdown, you know, and it's a different ball game, right? And so Zim wasn't pleased about that. He said that the Niners essentially hold on pretty much every single play, uh, you know, grabbing guys around the waist, you know, grabbing jersey, that kind of thing. And then George Kittle in his press conference was asked about that. Of course, a star tight end for the 49ers. And his response was something to the effect of, um, you know, rather than complain about the officiating, you know, why don't you just have your players make better plays kind of thing. And so I, I don't know what you think of that, Sam. We've talked about the officiating a little bit uh, this year. We've felt like the Vikings have maybe gotten some poor luck here and there. But, I mean, what are you, are you looking at the officiating for this or are you kind of putting the blame elsewhere? No, I like for sure there is missed calls. I, I like, I think it's fair probably to say that I'm more unbiased than, than others. And it feels like for the Vikings, they, yeah, there's been games, so. yeah. there's been certainly games where they've uh, been on the short end and there's games where I, I'm trying to remember, I don't know if it was Dallas or someone that they, they actually got a fair share of calls. And so I'm, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think that, Usually, and I know it's hard to see this sometimes as a fan, but usually if you look at officiating over a 17-game stretch, used to be a 16-game stretch, it usually works itself out. I know that every it, it's just hard because it feels like every team feels like they get the short end of the calls, and that's usually a good sign. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the turnovers for sure, and particularly where the turnovers happened, right? It wasn't like you turned it over when you were in the, the second half of the field. Like both yeah. the fumble and the interception led to them being um well by the time that they returned the ball they were essentially in the red zone uh and and those are just the killer spots like you're those, those are automatic points that you're giving the other team yep yeah there's 10 points there right it was a touchdown and then they credit to the defense they did hold them to a field goal off of the fumble um but like sam is saying you play exceptionally well in defense defend that short field but they still get three points right and so is challenging. And then the one thing I will say about the officiating, do they hold in every play? Man, I don't know. Maybe they do. Like, I know there's been stuff about that in Green Bay in the past where they get away with this kind of legal holding stuff. Um, but what I will say is I cannot make sense of it in my mind how Thielen didn't make that catch, how that was ruled or following. The, you know, we're all, you know, I had a few friends over watching that game and we're all looking at it saying, oh yeah, he 100% caught that. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't like, it's just crystal clear. And I could see how on the field, maybe it was a little bit dicey. You kind of know it didn't have a super firm grip on it, but it was like, oh, yeah, that's <laughs> and you come back and it's third and nine and the Vikings have one last timeout, And you're thinking, man, what in the world? How in the world did they come to that conclusion? Right. Like, did you think that was a catch? Automatically. Like I, when he like the first time seeing it without the meshies, like zooming in, I was like, oh, OK, yeah, like probably didn't catch it. But you look at the replay, and it only took one replay for me to be like, that, "That's a catch!" Like he he did yeah, it. like totally the way that he like like you see the ball move a lot at the very like right by the field, and like those are usually like, "Oh, okay, he didn't maintain 
possession when he hit the ground. I know there's even just the the way that rule is called now is, but like the, the ball did not touch the ground. Like his hand was right underneath it, and so um, that's the thing. Exactly. Thankfully, it ended up not really mattering, but it's still like it's it. There, there's questionable calls, and then there's calls that feel clear cut, and it's hard when those ones go against you. And it was very clear that that it was a catch. The only thing, my only now, I don't think if if they actually win that challenge, which I think is pretty clear they should have, if they actually win that challenge, it's possible, tiny little chance that it does make a difference because the Vikings went into that final drive with no timeouts left. The timeout, right? Is, yes, and sure. so if you have that timeout. I don't know. And then it's certainly most frustrating to see KJ Osborne 100% was interfered with on that third down play on the final drive. And, uh, um, but again, like, I'm sure you could find plays where the Vikings maybe interfered and didn't get a call. I don't know if maybe this game tilted sort of the 49ers. It probably did to a certain extent. But next week against the Lions, man, the Lions have worse luck than us. The officiating will probably tilt purple. So, I mean, I know it's like Sam was saying, it's definitely true. And I have my, complaints and quibbles but this one honestly i'm kind of starting with cousins like like in terms in terms of who to blame like he had some really poor throws the interception was awful uh, i'm kind of mostly like and honestly they didn't they didn't really harass him all game like they i thought their d-line was going to get after him and just get after cousins and hit him repeatedly and beat him up and just bully this guy the whole game and they really didn't both got home once the pass protection was actually pretty good, right? Like he should have had a much more productive day, I would say. Yeah, you know, I for sure he was not nearly like. If you want to say that this is his worst performance of the season, I I would, I think yeah. there's probably a strong, strong possibility for that. And like, it just it just looked a little off. Like he, it felt like it was just he was grinding it out. Um, yeah. And like, I think there's a few plays like that. The two point convert throw to Jefferson. Like it, it kind of, it struck me as that play, you know, when you, yeah. you see a, a pitcher who's throwing the ball at 95 miles an hour to home plate and, and pitching the strike zone, but they can't make the the simple throw to first base. Like that's what it felt like. It was like, it just right. couldn't, uh, that, that one hurts. And he knew it right away. And, and I don't know, there's gotta be a little bit of grace for players. Like mistakes happen in that, but it was like, out of all the throws, like, um, I, I don't, I won't compliment us too high but like i i think i can make that throw um obviously <laughs> the, pre- the, the pressure is significant there and i i but like it just it was so it was just like jefferson had done so well to do it and i, I think there was certainly some frustration you could see oh from, yeah from just Jeff, uh, jefferson yesterday and um i yeah I, I don't know how much you make of that um i like guys want to win and so i'm i'm glad to see that um yeah. But I, I just, I'm never a huge fan of the, the throwing the hands up and blaming mm-hmm. other players. But I, I think it's fair yesterday that to say that Cousins, uh, was, was a factor in, in making like miss them missing some some pretty significant plays and 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 that and you want someone that can can make the throws that they need to and he he didn't he wasn't able to do that yesterday. Yeah, exactly. And like, look, we we talked about I think last week where. So everyone sees Jefferson and they say, like, look at his release. Look at him in the intermediate area of the field. Look at the yards after the catch. But he doesn't get enough credit for his competitiveness, his toughness, his work ethic, all those things. And so it's like, if you want to 
if you want to praise these things, which I do, like he's a super competitive guy. He wants to win. He wants to work hard. He wants to get the ball in his hands because he very rightly realizes that that's going to actually lead to a good outcome in the game, right? That's part of that's a big part of his motivation. I mean, those same attributes that we love are what leads to him maybe throwing his arms up in the air and saying, come on, Kirk, like get, get me that ball. I'm going to make this play kind of thing. And I can understand um, as long as it doesn't really bleed over into the locker room in any significant way in the moment, I'm good with it. Um, Cause it's, it flows from that competitive spirit where it's like, listen, man, if you give me a chance here, I'm going to make the play nine times out of 10. Right. And, or for him, probably higher than that. Maybe so. I'm I'm good with it. I I you don't want to see it every week, nor do you want to see, you know, any anything off the field or in the locker room. But it was it was a frustrating game, and and he was obviously frustrated, and Frig I was frustrated too. So I can't, I can't blame the guy. Yeah, you were throwing your hands up at cousins in, in your living room as well. I tell you what, man, like I was, yeah, I was upset. I was upset. I'll, I'll leave it at that. It's always different when you're watching the the game with people too. Um, it is. Dude. So I, I maybe you're maybe you're more reserved. Uh, I was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's let's switch to a second down here. And I think that we've we talked about a lot of errors that were made, but I think if you were to look at one of the greatest weaknesses yesterday, the run defense was I don't know if it was it was bad, like brutal. Um they they had had some strong performances against the run. But yesterday, that was a difficult game. Um, I, I know that there were some key injuries, and there's part of me that actually felt like at the start, I was like, oh, these guys are doing it, but it just, they just, they couldn't keep up. And so I guess what can you expect from this defense moving forward, um, considering yesterday and maybe even considering the injuries? It's challenging, right? Because the entire starting defensive line was gone. Dino Hunter, Everson Griffin. Michael Pierce, Dalvin Tomlinson, and those two, especially those two D tackles. So the, D, the run defense last year was bad, right? And then the solution was getting Pierce back and then bringing in Tomlinson. So these two monstrous dudes, huge guys, put them right in the middle of the defense. And now you've got a really tough time, you know, running up the middle. And then in, in theory, that then allows you to move more players to the edges because those two are so hard to move. And so now your run defense along the edges, which is where they really burned us, should be stronger, right? Because the middle is solidified. Therefore, we can maybe, you know, kick our linebackers out a little bit, maybe play our defensive ends a little bit wider. Whatever the case may be, we feel confident that these two guys in the middle aren't going to be easily moved. So I get that. Losing your entire starting defensive line is really, really challenging. Um, I, I don't know how it compared to hockey, but it's like, you know, if you lost your, you know, your, your second pair of defensemen, you know, those two guys like that really makes difference, right? Like that really makes things challenging now. And so I see that. And then they also lost Anthony Barr, who they were using on the defensive line more. And then who you know, has like, he's really rangy. He's got good size, right? He certainly makes a difference. Uh, to lose him in the middle of the game is really challenging. Um, but the run defense, by my estimation, or the lack thereof, really made things challenging i mean the niners possessed the ball for more than 37 minutes that's a lot right they're, they're almost at two-thirds of the game the vikings had the ball for just under 23 minutes so there's a pretty big discrepancy there right and they ran for over 208 yards 
So following, I thought the run defense was really good against the Chargers. Herbert and Eckler, no joke, right? Mostly contain them. And then you go to Rodgers and Dylan, who are no joke. Both of them can move. And then you contain those two, right? And you know, we have two consecutive wins. There's not a, it's not a coincidence that better run defense, you might've got a much better chance of winning. Here now, the run defense basically collapses and you allow over 200 yards rushing, 37 minutes plus time of possession and you end up losing the game on the road. Uh, that was really, really challenging. And to my mind, if it's Kirk Cousins on the offense, I'm looking at the run defense primarily on that defense. Well, I don't know what your thoughts are, but that was tough to watch. It, it was tough to watch. And I think the thing that made it tough is that you knew that it was going to go exactly like that in the sense like you knew that San Francisco was going to run the ball the way that they were like there was no secret like the the pass offense was felt like it was almost non-existent for for San Fran other, other than a few big plays like even like you mentioned George Kittle earlier he had one catch for 13 yards and like that was a good good player but like they just they were so committed to the run and yep. there was nothing that this team seemed to be able to do and it uh you mentioned last year and I saw some conversations about last year, like that it did start, that defense did start to look a little bit like that defense was last year. And that's never a good sign. And it makes sense, right? This similar situation, you get injuries to key players and then you're sitting there having just these holes that they just continue to expose with this run defense. So um, do you have hope that they can do something different moving forward? I know that we, we do have some interesting games coming up. Um, yeah, well, the hope is that Tomlinson, so he has to be away for 10 days and then test negative for COVID. And so I believe, in theory, if he's, you know, obviously you worry about this guy's health first and foremost, right? That he's actually, you know, healthy just as a human being, let alone a football player, right? So you, you start with him being a healthy person and then ideally a good football player as well, and a healthy football player uh, has his feet underneath him and it has the lungs to be able to you know, participate in an NFL game and what that demands. And then Michael Pierce, ideally coming off the IR here soon. And so now you get those two D tackles back and that really changes the water of the beans. And then Sheldon Richardson has actually been really nice at defensive mm-hmm. ends, right? And, and Armand Watts has actually been really excellent at DT, right? That, that defensive tackle. So now if you're saying to yourself, man, we actually like, that Watts, Pierce, Tomlinson tackle trio, we can rotate these dudes, right? Occasionally get some snaps from James Lynch. And then if Sheldon Richardson, he provides you some decent pass rush defensive ends, and he's a huge body. He's a defensive tackle by trade playing defensive end. So he therefore should be, in theory, more stout than your average defensive end in terms of run defense, and then doesn't really give up too, too, too much. I mean, I know he's not the new hunter, but he can still get after the quarterback. He actually had some really nice reps against Trent Williams yesterday. Mm-hmm. And Trent Williams is no joke. Like he is for real. Like he, even though he's, he's older, he is an elite, elite offensive tackle. So if you are a D tackle by trade, playing defensive end, going up against perhaps the best tackle in the NFL and putting pressure on Garoppolo with not just once or twice, but some degree of consistency, I believe he had five pressures man, that's pretty good, right? And so then if you're saying, all right, then you maybe you have DJ Wanham, Pierce Tomlinson, Richardson, Armand Watts is going to get in there. Is this what you hoped for coming into the season? No, but could it actually be a 
a reasonably strong defensive line, kind of middle of the pack, maybe above average, then I think that that's plausible. And if that's the case, then maybe you're onto something because the, the secondary now is getting healthy. I don't know what's going on with Anthony Barr. Hopefully he can bounce back from this. Um, but this could be a serviceable defense. I don't think they'll be elite like we we're hoping. Like you really don't have a true number one defensive end. Um, and then if you lose Barr, then that makes the difference as well. And the secondaries, you know, had their moments. But this could be a good defense coming down the stretch if everything breaks right. And I know there's a lot of emphasis on that little little word if, right? If everything breaks right, there's a whole lot hinging on that tiny word. But it's not completely implausible to say, you know, the, the Vikings could have something here, right? Um, but I mean, what Sam was saying is true in that there was really no, no debate. Are the 49ers going to try and run the ball? <laughs> yes, of course they will. They ran the ball more than 40 times the past two games, right? Which is a crazy amount. And then they, I don't think they quite hit 40, but they were in the 30s today, mid to high 30s. And I mean, Mitchell had 27 carries. Debo Samuel had six. Garoppolo ran for a few. Wilson had a couple. Ayuk had one. So, I mean, they ran the ball a lot. And everyone knew what they were going to do. San Francisco knew what they were going to do. I knew what they were going to do. Sam knew it. Vikings knew it. And they couldn't stop them. And so that's where you kind of say to yourself, how much is the personnel or, or the lack of personnel where you say, would it have been different if, and, and maybe not because they ran all over the Vikings back in 2019 in the playoffs. So maybe, maybe Shanahan has a Simmers number. I don't know, but it was definitely a, a disappointing outcome. I, I would say, and I, I do wonder about, um, I do wonder about how much of a difference having some of those guys, especially up front, how much of a difference that might have made. Yeah, for sure. So you're right. So 39 rushes yesterday, rushing plays yesterday. Are you? I'm I'm surprised that Debo Samuel only had six carries because it felt like, like, like <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. It felt like he was running all over them I was all like, the time. I thought he had like double that, uh, and like obviously the two touchdowns impact yeah, that. Exactly. Like, and I know he exactly. he also got hurt later in the the game when they were, um, and they, they had some runs after that would have gone to Mitchell, but um, yeah, that was it was a tough. It was, it was tough to watch this run defense. Yes. I, I would say that the, like some of those guys like Wanham and, and Richardson, like there was some really, they had some really good flashes yesterday. Exactly. But, but exactly. yeah, you just, they, I, I, a lot, I think hinges on some of those players coming back um, and being able to, like you said, rotate them through. Um, so let's look ahead. I think that, that like that obviously you don't throw away, games or throw away the film there's things to learn from yesterday but um you know what the vikings as of this morning are still in a playoff spot they would get to go against uh the packers oh dear which would be a lot of fun um oh my dear fun stressful frig well yeah i guess so i don't know i like part of me feels like would be nice to go in as the underdog into lambo and and at least put the, the pressure on them um but an, an easier opponent awaits. We have the Lions. And I guess the question is, um, I have the question, but it feels almost silly to ask because it feels like the answer is no. Uh, but do you find some comfort in knowing that the next game is against the Lions? I definitely do. Yeah, I, I definitely do. I'm, I'm about 99% to 6-6. Six and six. You know what I mean? Like we're 5-6 and six right now. 
I see the lines in the schedule. And they basically say, okay, so put, put us in for six and six. It's pretty much an ink. Um, and let's, let's, now I know that that's foolish because they almost, if it wasn't for a clutch kick and a long kick too from uh, Mr. Joseph, um, then man, oh man, we would have lost the Lions and they would have actually had a win this season. But right now they're 0 10 and 1. They are probably the most pathetic team in North American sports, right? In the NFL for sure. And then throw in baseball, throw in hockey, throw in basketball. Is there a team, Sam? And I'm asking you, I'm genuinely asking you. Now, I know you're, you're probably your number one sports, I think, still hockey and then probably football. But, you know, a little bit about the NBA, a little bit about uh, baseball as well. Is there a team that's more pathetic than the Detroit Lions? Um, well, not winning is hard to beat. Um, <laughs> like, like, now there's a, not winning is hard to beat. And that's a good statement. I like so, that. Yes, I like like you look at a team like the Arizona Coyotes in hockey who have just been a little bit of a tire fire and sold off everything and they basically own half mm-hmm. the draft this this coming year. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I hey, you know what? They I think it's pretty clear that they would be um, I, like I, I I think there's a certainly a strong argument that they can be the worst team um, in all of professional sports in North America. I think that's that's fair. I think at the very least. Yeah, exactly. So let's let's say you say the Coyotes or or I don't know who would be in baseball, but um, at the very least, they're in the running. Like if there's like a bottom three, they're without question there. I mean, they are an awful, awful team. Now, as Sam has repeatedly pointed out, the Vikings often play to their competition. So you have the elite Arizona Cardinals and you probably should beat them. You know what I mean? If, if you make that kick that you should have made, or maybe even drive the ball a little bit further down the field and then make that kick, um, you beat the best team in the NFC, right? Or you play the Lions, the worst team in the NFC, and you probably should have gotten beat by them, right? Like you probably should have lost there at the end. And so we really do adjust our play style. <laughs> you know, it's, it's awful to say, but we really kind of adjust. I don't even know why. To, to the team for playing, and it's awful, right? So I, I wouldn't be shocked if it's a close game. In theory, the Vikings should take these dudes out. It should be like 45 to 3. You know what I mean? Like, it should be no contest, up early, rotate these dudes, um, and, and not worry about too, too much. Um, but I do find some comfort in the fact that somehow we're still in a playoff spot, which is insane. And if we do beat the Lions here today, then uh, we're 3-0 in our division, which is not insignificant. So 3-0 in the division is a big deal. Zim often talks about how divisional games kind of feel like it's worth two. You know, you know what I mean? In that you're going up one and, you're, and your division rival is going down one. You know, and, and so it's, it's a big deal. It's, it's a big deal to be a 3-0 in the division. Now, obviously, you still have the Bears and then one more Packers game, and those are going to be much more difficult. But uh getting this win i think we should feel good about the chances to get this win and if we don't i don't know maybe we riot maybe we just swear off sports altogether i don't know maybe i 
I don't even know what I'll do kind of thing. I don't want to go there in my mind, but throw the TV out the window is a, an option. Um, what, what do you, what are your, what are your thinking here in terms of these chances against the Lions? Right. Like I think everything on paper, everything that, you know, in terms of where these teams are at, like the Vikings have lots to fight for and the Lions right now don't like I, I, I was bored enough that I did watch the game on Thursday. Um, Me too. Me too. And so, like, you do see a team that still has some fight. Um, and I think that they will prepare well for the Vikings. And, like, it, teams very rarely ever go winless, right? Like, they, True. they've done yep. it. Um, but it, it very rarely happens. And it seems to – usually when they do win, it seems to happen – not against the other worst opponent, but it seems to happen against like, I know, um, right. It was a few years ago. Uh, the bills got lost to, to someone. Um, and I don't, I can't remember the, but the, like, just, it, it wouldn't surprise me if the only win that the Detroit lions get this year is against the, the Vikings. Um, <laughs> but I, I will say this, that I, um, it, I do hope that they they win, and I hope they win big. And it, like, I think the ultimate test or the ultimate sign would be that like Cousins doesn't even play the full game. Like that would be, I think, yeah, the that'd ideal, be ideal, ideal circumstance. Um, so I, I I will say that, and I think that I guess the problem I would say is that if they do lose, this will be a season defining loss. In that, that's you, yes, that's right. You look back on it, and it's like. You can look at all these losses, like even the fact that yesterday they still had a chance to win, despite how poorly they played exactly. in a lot of areas. Like exactly. this team hasn't been out of it, but if they do lose to the Detroit Lions, that like this, there's no way I think that they can recover from that. Um, like you, you, I guess you could go perfect the rest of the season and maybe make the playoffs, but it's still just like that. Um, that would be the game you look back on and be like, wow, like how did we lose that? Um, exactly. And, and we're, we're doing predictive nature right now. So like who knows what could happen. Um, but the one thing I'll say to that, Sam, and I, I don't know if you'll agree or not. I would feel more nervous if we went into San Fran and it actually steamrolled those guys and run a three game winning streak plant and then into the lions, I would feel more nervous. Fair. Right. But the fact that we just lost this game and now hopefully you have that renewed sense of urgency and focus where you say, listen, fellas, we really need to take care of these details here. Like we're not good enough to, you know, just forget how to play running defense. We're not good enough to have these turnovers deep in our own, our own zone kind of thing. And so in that sense, it makes me almost feel more confident kind of counterintuitively given that we played so poorly yesterday. Cause ideally that means man, we really need to kind of kind of figure this stuff out and go get a decisive win over these guys. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And that I, I feel similarly, like I, I, I see all these things. Like I, I just, I, I was, as I was watching the game yesterday, I just started to actually feel some hope with this team. And, and it was frustrating to watch how yesterday played out. Uh, but again, like I, if I'm putting money on it, I'm certainly certainly would expect that the Vikings would win. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, 
it again it, it would be great we've said this a few times it would be great to just have a, a game where you can kind of come out in the second half and comfortably feel like we have this and like you said you can rotate some guys through um yep. and yep. and just feel good about getting an easier win um yep. I was surprised to hear that you gave him a 99% chance. Like that's, um, I haven't seen that kind of, kind of. It's the uh, Lions. So, I mean, you were just joking about saying, you know, you could have made that two point conversion throw, right? Like, man, it's the Lions. If you line me up under center, the Vikings should still be able to beat the Lions. I'll just hand the ball off every play. It's the Lions. They're awful, right? Like it would be a complete embarrassment and a fireable offense on, on Zim if, if the Vikings do lose. That is reason to be fired, right? Like, there's not alone, not in isolation, because you've made plenty of other mistakes. But if they lose to the Lions and drop to five and seven, oh, man, that is yowzers. That, that's, that's a tough one to uh, bounce back from. 100%. 100%. And I want to clarify, because I know you said, like, I could throw that two-point convert. And, like, I I do not like when people kind of go, like, I like I could have made that kick or I could have made a throw. What I was trying to say in it was that, like, it was one of the easiest throws that a quarterback has to make. And it just, it kind of almost uh, pointed to, like, almost like a, a, a pitch that has the yips um, not being able to make the throw. And it, obviously, he's scrambling a little bit. Um, I, I just wanted to clarify, I'm not... I think what we all heard, Sam, was that you think you're better than Kirk Cousins. Well, you said it, not me. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. There you good. Go. Any, anything else before no. we... Uh, no, let's get to the Minnesota Wild. Hopefully they're happier than we are. They, well, they are happier. Um, so okay. yesterday, they, they did beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. So this is their ninth straight home win over the Tampa Bay Lightning. So I haven't lost at home to this team since 2011. Really? Which is which is pretty incredible. Yeah. No, it, it is. Like they like the Tampa Bay Lightning, they did early in those years, like they did have some rough stretches. Um, but over the last six years, they've been a very good team. And mm-hmm. so to like obviously it's an opposite conference, so they don't play each other a ton. But despite where the Tampa Bay Lightning are at, there was still still a significant win. Um Ryan Hartman is who I wanted to highlight a little bit. He's got his team-leading fourth game-winning goal and his 12th goal of the season. And wow. so I know Michael Russo wrote an article a little bit about, you know, he uh, like he's probably, at this stage, he's not going to be able to make the U.S. Olympic team unless they have like a special exception just based on mm-hmm. their having to make the, the the selections already for the long list of, of players. And they know because of, they, they, they've been testing all these players before they go over to play in the Olympics um, mm-hmm. and he hasn't been getting tested. And so it would be really hard for him to make the U S team, but, but his point from what I understood was that, you know what, he's been playing good enough that he should be kind of in the conversation. And so this is a guy who was drafted 30th overall. Yeah. So a first round pick uh, several years ago, his career high is 19 goals. And this year he already has 12 through a quarter of the season. Right. And that was back. I'm looking at his amount of elite prospects right now. That was back in 2016, 17. Exactly. Right, so that, was, that was a few years ago. Yeah. It was really his first full season in the NHL. Um, and so like to have that, like this is already his second best output of, of the year. 
uh, of his career. And here he's he's a guy that signed for for three years, uh, a one point seven, I believe. Yeah. And so Bargain. Uh, players like that are just what make good teams work when you can have a guy yep. uh, as Kill said, and like he is um, yep. just for him to be able to be having this kind of offensive success at this point uh, is just fantastic for, for a team like the Minnesota wild who we've talked mm-hmm. about in future years, just where their, their salary cap will be. So um, yeah, just want to highlight that because that is um, that's been a real highlight for, for this Minnesota wild team this year. Fair enough. I think the the American squad is going to be really, really deep. Like they're they're going to be. I mean, Sam and I are we're Canadian. You know, Canada's got the best team. Who are we kidding? But the Americans are really good, and they they could realistically win this thing. It would be tough to make it based off of a strong opening half or so of of their NHL season. Possibly, Sam, would you say? And obviously, you don't cheer for this. You never want this to happen, but. If there was a significant injury or two, maybe that opens up a spot for him, perhaps. Yeah, maybe. Like the, I think that at this point he's probably still um, kind of in the in the twenties in terms of forwards for this country. Um, okay. But I, I do think it, this is the challenging thing. I think sometimes when selecting these teams is one, you can choose the most skilled team, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the best team. Precisely. Uh, and this Precisely. is a guy that I think could really fit in well, like on a fourth line of the U.S. Olympic team. Right. Exactly. Um, so there's that. And then there's also the consideration of, do you take someone over who's having a really strong career year, or do you take someone who's proven it over the longevity of their career? Right. And like you, you see someone's in like team Canada, they've had like the uh, Chris Drapers and like Chris Kunitz come over the one time. And like these players that obviously are not, one of the 15 best or 12 best forwards um, mm-hmm. from the country, but they serve a, a, a role. And yeah. so um, anyways, the, the, there's challenges. And I think that the, the funny thing with the Olympics is that often when a team doesn't succeed because of the vast pool of players you can select from, it gets into a little bit of a player selection uh, criticism. It's not necessarily yeah. how the team plays, but it's about, Oh, well, you could have had this guy. Or you could have had that guy. Exactly. Um, so I still think it's a long shot, especially considering some of the factors you mentioned. But um, I think it is always nice to um, be in that conversation and, and at least to create some some buzz. Um, right, right. And it not, does, not I mean, of, your, your point about just like wild fans during the season, the fact that it's even a conversation now speaks to how well he's been playing, right? So, yeah. And I, I say it's nice to be the conversation as a fan, like as a player, it's not like, Oh, I, when you tell your kids about your career, like, Oh, I was, yeah. Some right. writers were writing about me potentially being on the Olympic team. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I understand that doesn't mean a whole lot, but, but I think it just, it points to how good the season has gone for him so far. Sure. Sure. Good. Yeah. Fair well, enough. Fair enough. We can wrap up there. Uh, back next week to talk about the lions before we go any last words kyle uh anywhere that people can can go and find some of your writing i'd say we better beat the lions and then from there check out uh, purpleptsd.com i'm on twitter if you like twitter for some reason at vikings gazette and otherwise keep uh keep swinging by here if you uh enjoy what sam has to say and can tolerate what i have to say that's good i like the way you put that yeah oh 
well, let's uh, we'll wrap up there, and hopefully we're coming back to talk about a six and sixteen. Thanks, everyone. Right